Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hi everyone and welcome back to VLGA Connect. It is my pleasure today to welcome to the program Victoria's reasonably new LGBTIQ plus commissioner, Todd Fernando. Todd, welcome to the show. Lovely to meet you. And thank you for having me, Chris. It's a pleasure to meet you as well. And hello to all the, the viewers out there today. Terrific. We were speaking before we started recording um, that uh, I know the announcement of your appointment was in September last year, but you acted for a while. So you're really coming up to almost 12 months in the role. How's it been? Well, it's been really good. And I, what I say to people is the first four months was really a four month job interview, which you can imagine is probably gruelling in government corporate world. Um, but it has been absolutely a pleasure. It's um, it's it's quickly becoming quite an honour. And I think the 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 title and the the uh, um, the gravitas of the position has kind of died down for me a little bit, but, right. you know, it's still exciting sometimes when I'm walking down Coles or Woolies aisles and somebody, a little queer person's like, oh, I know you. And I'm like, oh, that's so cute. But at the same time, it's, it, you know, the exposure of the breadth and depth of need for our communities um, has been really eye-opening. So th so you, what you're saying is the novelty's worn off and it's down to work. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're paying, paying me money to do some things and I've got to do those things. <laughs> So uh, look, just take us back to last year. So Ro Allen was the first person to hold the role. Big shoes to fill, of course, Todd. How did you how did you find that four months of, you know, it resonates with me what you're talking about, that gruelling job interview, because I've been there as an interim or an acting CEO, um, and a lot of people in local government will understand that feeling. What was your approach to that that period? Yeah, look, it was very interesting. And, and I, t I tell the story that um, you know, I, I, I like to tell the story of how because often people will say, oh, how did you land this position? How was how why was you the one that were able to take over um, in terms of it just even acting? And what's really funny is when I met Ro six or seven years ago when they first started in the position, I had said to them, when you when you finish, I'll 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 take over. Thank you very much. And yeah, it was cheeky of me to say that, but it was over six years that I then continued to work closely with Roe and the team and and really kind of connect some of the dots and um and and Roe had called me around this time, actually, 12 months ago. Um, and I was just finishing my PhD and um, they had called me at 7.30 in the morning or something like that, ridiculous, which is very Roe. Um, but they called me, they're like, what are you doing for the next few months? And I'm like, what do you need me to do? And, you know, they revealed the plan. And and I was I was very hesitant at first because I'm like, this is a big, it's a big job. And, um, and so... Roe Ro would let me know that they had, they had become or will be becoming the Victorian Equal Opportunity Human Rights Commissioner and that we had had a couple of months as, as you know, to be the acting com commissioner and they would do a handover. And then lo and behold, we both started our new jobs on the same day, right. meaning that the handover was a phone call the night before <laughs> being like, this is the job, this is the priorities, here are a few things that are happening. And so day one just hit the ground running. And I think it was probably day three or four where I found myself calling Ro and was like, mate, 
this is not a gift. <laughs> this is, and you know, so the exposure of it all, and and obviously we have a great minister of equality with with Martin Foley, and and that has been a huge strength and help because he and I were able to kind of figure out well where are the areas that we need to fulfil over the next few months in 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 this, but what's the long term vision of the role and and of the working community, and while Roe has built um, alongside with the minister an incredible infrastructure for our communities in Melbourne. Um, there were some teething issues when it came to um, a few sort of cultural safety elements of it, and which is where my bread and butter is. So I was yeah. able to come in and fill some of those gaps. So it was gruelling, but we, we're, we're here now. Um, you know, that long job job announcement, sitting on it, not being able to even tell the team that I'd gotten the job up until yeah. the announcement, which was which was great. <laughs> I want to come back to your background in just a second, which you just alluded to, but I did want to ask you, was the plan all along to change the name of the commissioner role or did that evolve over the time? It evolves over time. Um, every couple of years, we have this running joke that, you know, every couple of years, we'll add another letter to to it. Um, and we're not yet there on, I think, adding any extra letters or thinking about making a name, the name change. But there are some some inklings around what does it mean to be um, the LGBTIQ plus communities commissioner um, in that our communities and our recognition from within government that these communities are so diverse and the intersectionalities of these communities is really much broader than just the sexuality nature of it or the gendered nature of it and um, so you know things might happen in the future but for now it'll stay the same as communities but I want to touch on that important aspect of communities Mm -hmm. um, because we're not a community we are communities and and that's a reminder for me and a signal for others to remember that we're not a homogenous group and and um, you know there are days where I'm talking with with, you know, older white gay men who have certain challenges versus, you know, Pacific Island groups who are emerging in our communities. And, you know, those are very different conversations and being able to have to jump from one to the other is, is yeah. keeps me on my toes. <laughs> so, so just for those who don't know, when Roe was first appointed, it was known as the Commissioner for Gender and Sexuality. Uh, it's now become the LGBTIQ plus communities commission for the reasons uh, that make sense that you've just explained. But there's a few firsts in there, aren't they? First, first state to have a commissioner of this type. You're the first openly queer and Aboriginal commissioner. How important are those trailblazing uh, things to lay claim to? In the well, book. Yeah, it's it's really, uh, you know, the, the imposter syndrome is real in one sense. And the other sense, it's, it's you know, my the audacity that I think that I have to be able to, to do this is, is really great. But um, look, it, it, it was uh, it was challenging at first, if I can be politely honest, it was, am I the right person for this? And even throughout the acting, when I was acting in the position and putting forth my application, there was a there was a point where I was like, I don't think I'm going to apply for it. I don't think I'm going to go for the actual the actual gig, um, just because it was the weight of everything just came crashing down. And and you know, being being the first openly gay Ab- Aboriginal commissioner, um, the first Aboriginal person to hold a commission title that's not an Aboriginal commission, so first mainstream, um, one of the youngest commissioners in Australian history, I'm only 33, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's quite young, or the other commissioners that I get to hang out with and who are amazing are, you know, 50 plus, so mm-hmm. who have another two decades of work on, on top of me, so the imposter syndrome in that sense is real, but 
at the the heart of it is, you know, my connection to community really does speak volumes to why it is that I'm in this position and and my exposure to to their histories, both socially and culturally, allows me to understand the kind of the level of playing field that we're at, particularly as we're merging towards um, really building a a strong campaign around um, weeding out the last dreads of homophobia, transphobia and biphobia in our communities. And and that's, that's a real issue and concern, particularly at the local Local level, and we're seeing that play out. Um, you know, even over the last week, in some in, in, in an LGA, um, in somewhere in Victoria, where there yeah, is a yeah, mayor well. who is is yeah. is um, you know saying some things that aren't not nice. And well, so, let's name it. It's West Wimmera Shire, and we've talked about right. it on on our program, and it's it's certainly caused quite a bit of upset in the community, hasn't it? Yes, uh, it is. You know, one of the things about this job and is is the personal cost that comes at it, and to have to you know, take phone calls and call people in community who are in that, who are so affected by that, who, um, who see the progress that we're making but have to be the ones that bear the brunt of, of setbacks and those barriers, particularly at the coalface and particularly with this mayor who's, whose ideas are so outdated, who um, is, is, who's causing controversy where they no, not need be controversy, who themselves is probably underqualified to work in that position, given his disdain of both our queer communities, our gender diverse communities, and of First Nations communities. So you hear these stories that emerge from, from these elected officials, and you're like, who are you elected to represent? Because you're not representing the communities that actually live in those areas. And so, you know, all power to West Wimmera and, and the communities out there who are standing strong. But, you know, I'm not sure if you heard, but all the listeners have seen, but there's a great, you know, during the the Anzac Day Memorial Service, the local RSL at, at West Wimmera, um, you know, really uh, chastised the mayor for for his his right. views, and you know that's the local RSL. The local RSL are understanding and can be on board with with um, with the needs of our communities. Why is the mayor not not there? So I'll leave it as that, which I probably yeah. said more than I initially had planned on. But you know, the fact of the matter is, is is this has serious consequences for the health and well being of our communities, and I can't. I can't sit by idly by and, and and not say something. So yeah, thanks. <laughs> no, no, I'm really pleased that you you did make those comments. We hadn't planned to to go there, but that's the nature of this this program. The conversation goes where it will. Um, I want to take you back to some comments you were making before, which I found really refreshing about imposter syndrome and self doubt, etc. Others obviously saw something in you, like like Roe. Tell us about your background that brought you to a role like this. Yeah, look, it's it's uh, it's. What's funny is I'll start with when I, in the first week, I, I had the opportunity to hang out with different commissioners and start to kind of get an insight into what the role is from their perspectives of their commissions. And um, I was hanging out with the Disabilities Commissioner and um, he was talking about imposter syndrome and I'm like, you're like 50 something, you know, not the age, but, you know, well-versed and and so it was great. But, you know, for me, it, it was, I've imposter syndrome has has followed me throughout my life, which I think is really, really interesting, despite all the successes and wins that I continue to have. So I was the, I you know grew up uh, in a single parent household, mum raised five kids brilliantly, she produced a commissioner, which is fantastic and, and props to her. Um, I was the first person in my family to finish high school, um, let alone go on to complete a PhD. And even throughout all of those steps of, of success and landing a job and going into university, imposter syndrome kept following 
following me around. And it was this idea that we had, and you know, I, I boil, it, boil it down to the fact that, um, you know, I didn't feel comfortable or me in those places because of various different um, cultural attributions. So an example might be that, um, you know, I went to Ormond College for six years, which is a very white institution. Um, nonetheless, they're adding some colour to it now. But uh, but in there, the display of I'm only here because of, um, you know, because of scholarships or I'm only here to, to, to assimilate, you know, success and assimilation are very interesting when it comes to to Aboriginal people who succeed, and and that um, that that plays into it as well. That the idea that the more successful I am in society, the more assimilated I, I'm becoming. And you know, I live I, I I live quite a different lifestyle now than I did when I grew up. And when I go home and visit family, I'm now the city cousin or the city nephew that comes home and you know has a bit of money. But you know, and that comes with its own thing. So the, it's, the imposter syndrome is very fascinating at all different levels. And I think we all experience it in all about different ways. And and you know, I think the more that that we talk openly about our, our our worries or concerns or even fears in the roles that we're in um, means that we're just at the end of the day reminding ourselves, hey, we're human. Yeah. We're having a human experience. Here we, you know, yeah. <laughs> let's let's help each other out here. So I'm happy to talk about it in that way. But it's a it's a real thing. But so it's gone now. It's done now. I'm... <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's that's good to know. Um, because it can stay with you. Uh, yeah. We, we we should we, we should acknowledge that. Where is home when you go home? Yeah, so home. I grew up in a small country town called Condoblin uh, in central New South Wales. Uh, two and a half thousand people last time I looked. Um, it's a socially and politically isolated community, and it's suffering from severe climate change. Mm. Um, uh, so it, it's it's a you know it's it's a devastated community, but nonetheless it's home. So every time I go back, and it's just lovely. You know, I grew up on on country, which was a privilege that not a lot of Aboriginal people get to have um, who grow up in transient communities, but um, to grow up and to fish on the same rock that my ancestors fished on yeah. is a weird concept. You know, we often talk about, uh, you know, I, I catch a, a fish or a yabby and think, oh, that yabby or that yellow belly has, is the descendant of an ancestor yeah. of fish that my ancestor would have fished out. And that, you know, that, that lineage of exposure to country and culture is really, really exciting when I do go back home. Um, but yeah, so, so, but Melbourne, Melbourne now is home. But it must be very satisfying to go back as someone who's demonstrated what's possible in terms of, you know, forging a path uh, in today's society. Yes and no. Yes, it's exciting to go back and to have a family that are immensely proud of the stuff that I'm doing and, and the exposure that I'm in. But the more that I'm in kind of this world the and the more experiences that I have here, it's hard to translate that back to community who are still living in, you know, in poverty or who are still in the cycle of vulnerability. And mm-hmm. to extend, you know, I don't think anybody in my family's read my PhD, and I don't expect them to. But you know, it's it's that you know what what is a PhD? Uh, so it's those conversations where I miss out on being able to share some of the experiences that I have here in this world when I go back home. But at the same time, it means I can really properly leave this world and have a holiday at yeah. home because <laughs> I don't have to worry about these big things but um yeah yeah, yeah. so it's a little it's an interesting uh, experience so sorry to go down the so much of the personal path that no, that's great yeah really, really what we were we were planning to do so let's talk about work if we can so yes. um in terms of the expectations you'd set for that first nearly 12 months how do you score yourself and what are your achievements so far do you think 
I think I think the first twelve months has been interesting. Um, I put I'll put forth that the first six months was was not so much trial and error, but business as usual. And I remember uh, maybe a month or two after I had gotten the gig, and Minister Foley had said, you know. What's, what's your 12-month work plan? Show, show me what you're doing. And I was at that point, I'm like, oh, now I've got to put something together and figure out what my I've actual to, goals are. I've got to come up with one. <laughs> come up with one. Um, and so I sat down and it was the first time I was really able to impart and see the vision of the role and where it needs to go. And, and a lot of that was attending to communities that historically we never attended to. So an example is the Pacific X community, which is the Pacific Island LGBTQ plus community. Uh, community. Um, I've done a lot of work with the, the, the refugee and migrant community. And it's, it's about really giving exposure to an area of need that is beyond the white gay man. You know, white gay men are an important feature in our communities, but they're not the only group. And mm -hmm. so really um, building that out. The other and passion and love of mine, and probably the one where I would score high on is my engagement with regional and rural communities. I think what we've built in Melbourne in terms of infrastructure is, is incredible. Um, where we've fallen short is not being able to translate that infrastructure into the into the communities in, in regional Victoria. And part of my big remit in the first 12 months is to really engage on the ground what is the vision of local local community um, and my my ability to then connect with so my next big venture is connecting with all the LGAs um, I'm, I'm having I'll be at the CEO's forum next week and um, following that I'll meet with every single LGA uh, and council um, across Victoria um, to get an understanding of what their vision of equality looks like in, in, right. in their communities because for me this top-down blanket fits all approach is not something that I ever have liked and so I really want to build and co-create and co-design with communities what equality and pride looks like in sale or in Orviradonga or in Mildura because we know that those areas are so diverse and different that the same policy structure just should not be set up. So that's what I'm really excited about um, in being able to embed now because I've got a vision and a, and a, and a, and a sense of it all. But report card, uh, you know, B+. Plus. I've got a I've got a feeling you're a hard marker. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you about your engagement with local government. Where's West Wimmera sit on that list of uh, priorities for places you want to get to? Look, they've jumped up the priority list a little bit just in the last in the last little a little bit. But you know, it's it's West Wimmera, and this is the unfortunate part is yes, we they have a visible uh, mayor who is so against pride and equality, um, but other communities and other areas face similar. Um, barriers, though as not as overt as the as the West Mimura mayor, unfortunately. So um, for me, it's about rebuilding, you know, the, the communities of practices and to engage with with community and really give power back to um, to to community members uh, to give them the tools and the strategies of working with local government. At the same time achieving equality and the vision of pride that we're setting forth in the whole of government LGBTQ plus strategy um, 
gov local government is the central feature of that success. And for me, going out and connecting with LGAs and, and connecting with local councils is the work because that's the that's the, the final frontier of really embedding embedding the things that we need to embed. You know, I think I had said something crazy um, in my first few months in the gig where I'm like, um, I think we're having pride events around Melbourne. I was like, this time next year, I want, you know, imagine a, a, a pride event in every country town in Victoria on mm. the same weekend, mm. you know, and that's not an impossible vision. Mm. But, you know, it's nonetheless, we've got to get, the, there's so many steps to get into place for us to get to that level where we can have a pride event, a pride weekend in every town where everybody feels safe. Because I made the move, and just to get a little bit personal again, I made the move from the country to the city to go to uni. But I also did that because I wanted to explore and connect with my sexuality in a much more um, uh, nuanced way than I could in a country town. Mm. And we're seeing that same transition happen with young people or older people who transition, um, who have to then leave their country town, the home that they belong to and love and the countries that they are connected to, to go into the city to find other communities or to go to health services or other types of, of, of organisations. And so that move, that, that, that move that queer people and, and gender diverse people do is something that's still remains and I'm I want to try and break that down and say no your community is home and you belong there you connect there you don't have you know you shouldn't have to leave and that's not me saying that we need a local a drag queen at the pub every Friday night but that means that the, the you know that the the visibility of a local checkout person um, being able to feel comfortable being themselves is great and I'll tell this little story quickly is mm. I was in Hamilton recently and in Hamilton at the Woolies, um, there was this non-binary person. Um, maybe they were transitioning. I had no idea. They were just, you know, a checkout person. And they were wearing, I could see that they were wearing a binder, which in the trans transgender world, um, you know, is to is to minimum chest compression. Mm. Um, and and they were clearly wanting to identify and express them, their masculinity a little bit more. And as I was, as they were checking, checking uh, my groceries out, I before I left after I paid, I was like, oh, see you, bro. And I walked out and I turned around before I left and he was just grinning from ear to ear, you know, that somebody got his pronoun right, that yeah. somebody recognised what, you know, his, his expression. And I didn't have to do that, but I knew that I did because yeah. I, I, I had seen it. And it's those little things that if we can teach people how to do that, how to recognise it rather than be like, what is that binder? But you affirm it and just be like, thanks, bro. See ya. And that that for you know I don't know that for him he could have had the best day of his life then you know because yeah. he brought himself to work and somebody recognized that and was able to be it was able to affirm it and so that's the work that I want to do at the local level um particularly with councils great great story good, good note to end on uh let me say I can see why you're in this role it's, <laughs> Thank you. it's, it's made for you and it's been an absolute delight to talk to you and I hope we can do this again absolutely but have me back anytime thanks Chris excellent Todd Fernando the LGBTIQ plus commissioner in Victoria with us today on VLGA connect thank you for watching and listening we're back with more soon hit that subscribe button and uh, we'll see you soon